Thank you, Mr. Ruddleston. Thank you. Uh, I think Mr. Ruddleston put it mildly, the action and the excitement that they've had over there trying to get everything working. Um, this has been um, going on uh, for part of yesterday and a good bit of this morning. And I do want to compliment all of our staff for everything that they've succeeded in doing over there. They're just an amazing guys, and they've been working really hard to get everything set up. The power was off for, for a good part of yesterday, a little bit over here at my home, here in my home office. But... Um, it was over, it was off, uh, good, still off, or at least partially off over there now. I think um, one of the three phases are not operating. So our guys, our technical crew is taking care of that. And once again, um, thanks to them and um, my appreciation for all that they've been able to do. Uh, just a brief report on things um, as far as the way operations and our income is going. Income is holding up now very nicely. It's just Amazing how God is blessing us. Mr. Ruddleston and I are just, uh, he is of course our controller and we are constantly just surprised and amazed at how God does manage and bless his work. And Christ is genuinely, uh, managing the work and taking care of all the details for us. That is going very well, uh, at this time. Also general operations at headquarters, even with remote operations are going well, we're continuing to be able to um, get out of uh, Living Church News, Tomorrow's World Magazines and everything with people working at home. Um, the mail processing department, well, all of the departments have just done an amazing job and we're slowly adding personnel uh, here and there. We're going to be working out the details of that in the coming weeks uh, just to uh, see how best to operate our operations, to have everything go well, but safely for everyone uh, there. Um, I just want to also mention that if you haven't seen the uh, video, uh, the Tomorrow's World Telecast, Why Does God Allow uh, uh, Pandemics by Mr. Weston, be sure to see it. Uh, it is setting records for responses. Um, we've had more responses for that program than we have had in many years. Uh, if my uh, wife doesn't mind me mentioning it, when she saw it, uh, her, she had one word for it. It was, wow. So I hope you watch it and see that as well if you haven't seen it. And just once again to thanks uh, for all the, to all the brethren for their love and support and during these difficult times. And um, we're just uh, doing amazingly well uh, with our staff and with our support uh, of the brethren. Now, just to start off, I'd like to mention, as I do from time to time, that God has us do things. Sometimes he tells us not to do things, but he often has us do things. And he has reasons for to do, uh, to do that. He wants to teach us things, and he wants to develop us as his begotten children. So he commands us to do certain things, and then to not do certain things, as he says, for our good. This time of year, we also remember that God gave his first fruits for us, and we are for, uh, well, he gave the first of the first fruits of us, and we, of course, remember that we are uh, the first fruits as well. The feast of the first fruits is coming up. Christ is the firstborn of many. We are the rest. He is the first. God is love, and he gave his best for us, his only begotten son. It's part of his character. That's just the way he is, and that's the way he does things. So his first fruits, that is his children, and his church need to have that characteristic also. 
Turn, if you would, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Here's something that is important to God. And when we see things that are important to God, we need to ask from time to time, then what then is truly important to us as well? It begins, Now all these things happen to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. And seeing that he is referring to the things that ancient Israel went through, all of those things that we see in history as we read that. But they are there for our examples and for us to learn from. He says they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And that word ends is comes from Greek telos. It doesn't mean uh, like the termination of something. It means ends in the terms of terms of final outcomes upon us, us upon whom the final outcomes of the ages have come. God made the whole universe for his children, and then he bends it to all, all of it for his great purpose of creating the children of God. That's why it's all out there. Do we love our Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ as much as they love us? God is love, and we are told to love him with all our heart and all our soul, all our mind and all our strength, all our being, and others, our neighbors, as ourselves. So God is love, and we could do that, love him with all our beings, then we would be as much like him as someone in the flesh could be. So do we give him our first fruits? Do we give him our best as he did for us? Well, I like to say that God's family business is giving. And it's, of course, the opposite of what worldly businesses are like. Many of you are in uh, working in worldly businesses, and, you know, you have to keep an eye on the bottom line if you are doing that. And we're uh, looking at how much income we're taking in. If you have a business, you're looking at that. And, of course, it's right that you do. But in God's church, we remember that his family business is that of giving. And we're being trained for executive positions in God's very different kind of activity. That's what we do at headquarters. One of the things that I hadn't really realized before, but when I showed up here nine years ago, that... I saw that it is the reverse of a worldly business. It's the opposite. We measure our profitability, so to speak, and how much we give. For instance, we track the statistics, and we see statistical reports all the time. But if you look at what they say, they're saying how much we give, how many booklets we send out, how many Tomorrow's World magazines we send out free, how many Bible study courses we're sending out. We measure our success, all of our stats, in how much we give. Isn't that different? Well, we're all in training that way. Our Father in Heaven has set up ways to train us, and we need to have the right priorities, and that means putting first things first. So today, let's talk about something about tithing. Now, I know this subject was covered very well and completely in a sermon here last year, but this is a shorter split sermon, and in it I would like to emphasize, just emphasize a particular reason that we have the doctrine. I know that the tithing statute derives from the commandment. You know that. 
the commandment, uh, um, and we can say, well, thou shalt not steal, and I would also say it derives from thou shalt not covet. We don't get greedy about things. We don't take something that is someone else's. The tithing is a statute. The tithing statutes derive from the Ten Commandments. And it, those uh, statutes actually say that we're to give God just what is his already. Everything is his, but those tithes are already his. He doesn't have us do it only to keep us from stealing from him. That's not it at all. Uh, God has important reasons for having us do what he has us do, particularly in the case of tithing. So I'd like to uh, go over that today. And that reason is for our benefit. It is for our benefit that he has us do that. And I'd like for us to understand why that is better today. So the title of today's split sermon is Why We Tithe. Now, first, let's do the first point here. Let's talk just a little bit more about the matter of first fruits. You know, our personal sacrifices given in love, God says, are like a sweet-smelling sacrifice to him. And God doesn't want our leftovers or a spotted or a blemished sacrifice. What some uh, may be, uh, what might be some uh, to some others, um, we need to work on these things to be sure that we don't do that, that we're never engaging in them that way. Let's start with, say, prayer and study. That needs a priority in our lives. I don't know about you, but if I don't have these things in my schedule, if I don't have them scheduled and I just do them when I have time to do them, often they won't get done. So prayer and Bible study needs a priority in your time. You need to have the first fruits of your time go to God for those two things. How about the matter of our service in the church? I like to say that we need to give both action and results when we do that. Good fruits. So we need to give God our best efforts, the first fruits of our efforts, the best that we can do. Uh, well, money, tithing, of course. We, um, we give God, say, the first check. When you, we have our paycheck in or the first check that we are writing for um, the month or the week, then it's the first one. If you do that, then you'll never be saying, well, I don't have enough left over. As sometimes people say, that's because they're not giving God the first fruits of their income. Maybe hospitality, and not just for our friends, but people that are diverse from us, ages, ethnic groups, different regions as well. We usually try to present our best for our guests when they come here. And we need to uh, give the best of our efforts for our guests when we can, and also do different groups of people, not just our own friends. Maybe the fruit of our lips. Let our conversation be positive and constructive, never um, complaining or murmuring. Put out the leavening of murmuring. I might say uh, the fruit of our lips involves singing, too. Uh, singing out, thinking about the words. Most of these are taken from the Bible or from Psalms, some from the New Testament as well. Giving God the first fruits of our lips when we speak, when we sing. Maybe repentance as well. Once again, we need action and results. Mr. Armstrong used to like to say that repentance means change. Well, sometimes we want the appearance of change, but not the substance. 
God goes for the substance. So give him the first fruits of your efforts in that. Maybe the truth in the work. That's another one. What's the first importance to us? Personal offenses? Is that the person, the most important thing? Is that take a precedence over the truth and the work for someone or doctrinal twigs or the precious truth of God? How about that? And telling it to the world. Do we major in the minors or are our eyes fixed on those things of first importance? And when you meditate on this, you can probably think of a lot more items that we can apply our first fruits to. You know, there's always an excuse for failure, just like the parable of the pounds or the parable of the minors. But we have to keep repenting. We have to keep trying. We have to keep growing and keep changing. God tells us to do this. But, you know, this is a happy task that he has us do because it's for our benefit. We're growing in the statue of Christ and then developing his character. He's working within us. And that includes putting first things first. God is teaching us to do this. It's a family trait of the God family. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 9, or sorry, Proverbs chapter 3, rather, verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3, and verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> we honor God when we obey with regards to our possessions. And I should mention that the matter of first fruits and tithes aren't always necessarily the same thing in the Bible. There's some scriptures that indicate that. But let's look at verses 9 and 10 of Proverbs chapter 3. It says, Honor the Lord, the eternal, with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Deuteronomy 10, 10, verses 12 and 13. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. Now, sometimes, and I probably have been guilty of this in the past myself, but sometimes when we look at the subject of the law and we're reading a law, our response to it has been, well, how much of God's law do I have to keep? How many times have you heard that? Someone will say to you, well, how much of God's law do you think you have to keep? Well, we understand that God's divine law arises from his very characters, from his very nature. And it expresses that. And he has that there for us to see and to understand so that we can understand and know him a great deal by his commandments and his statutes. And God's church, you know, I suppose we could ask, well, how much of God's law do we have to keep? But I'll tell you a better question about that. How much of God's law can I keep? That's the question that we need to ask when we see his uh, commandments. And here's the reason why. Verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the eternal your God require of you but to fear the eternal your God and to walk in all his ways and to love him? and to serve the eternal, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, <clears throat> and to keep the commandments of the eternal and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. That's a good reason to ask the question, well, how much of God's law can I keep? 
because it's all there for my good. How much more can I learn from these things? How much more can I learn about it and then apply it in my life? You know, it's as deep as I can plummet. I read it and I study it and it seems to get deeper all the time. Tithing is a statute that is affirmed in the New Testament as many statutes are. And of course, it is there for our good. And that's the point that I want to elaborate on a bit today. God looks on the heart. He looks for our real motives to see whether we desire the substance of his character for ourselves. He can see the intent of the desires of the heart, he says. The world may exhibit a form of godliness, but not the substance. Therefore, God watches for the fruits and the nature of those fruits. And that includes our motives for seeking him. So to summarize point number one, it should be clear to us that God wants us to have our priorities straight, just as he has his priorities straight. It's a matter of choosing as he does. If we're not choosing as he does, then we are self-willed, not God-willed. We tithe because God commands it, of course, but he commands it for a reason, and that is for our good. And we'll see more about that shortly. So point number two, point number two, the tithes are holy. The tithes are holy. We're given a number of things to keep holy, uh, such as the Sabbath, this time that we're in right now. Well, that began with sunset yesterday, and the time is now set apart. It is holy time that we're in, and he commands us to keep it holy. Another thing that is holy that we have to keep holy is the name of God. We're very careful about that, and we remember what that is and how we use it. And even ourselves as the temples of God's spirit, his indwelling spirit sanctifies us and sets us apart. You know, the Levites had the priests, vestments, the temple bowls, all of those things. And then they went through certain procedures to sanctify them. Well, God defines what is holy. We don't get to do it like the Sabbath. You know, the world says, well, I guess our Catholic friends say that they transferred the uh, the sanctity of the Sabbath from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week. And they say, therefore, all of the world's churches, all of Orthodox traditional Christianity uh, follows them. Um, our friends in the, um, in the Protestant movement have to come up with some additional reasons, sometimes rejecting papal authority. But. We know that the Sabbath is holy, and it hasn't been desanctified by God anywhere in the Scriptures. So it's something that we keep holy. If God's presence is in a place, it is always a holy place. And I'm thinking mainly, let's say, the place of the burning bush. God told Moses to take off his shoes because it was holy ground. Moses didn't say, well, you know, I would rather... That place over there, that's not quite as rocky, or I would rather have that place holy. No, it was where God said it was holy, and he told him how to keep it holy. That place was set apart by God for a divine purpose, a very important divine purpose in that particular time. But there's something else that is holy to God that he gives us to take care of. 
Turn to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 32. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 32. These things that God calls holy are set apart by God for a divine purpose. And that can include for his presence or or include other such things as temple bowls, Bowls and vestments, they are sanctified and set apart in a particular way for his use. Verse 30. <clears throat> and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the eternal's. It is holy to the Lord. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock, or whatever passes under the rod, one-tenth shall be holy to the Lord. You know, it might be a stretch to say that the tithe is holy because God's presence is in it. Uh, You may have your tithe in your bank account. You may have your tithe in your wallet. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean God's presence is in the bank vault or in your billfold. But tithes are certainly set apart by God for a divine purpose. Numbers 18.21. Numbers 18.21. Here's the purpose that he had for it in ancient times. He says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting." But Levi did not have a tribal area. They were scattered around through all of the um, through the different um, uh, tribal areas, and they also performed the tabernacle of meeting for the people. Notice that God said, "I have given, I have given the children of Levi." Know why? Well, the reason why it was his to give. This his property, the ties, and he can do with them as he pleases. So the tithes that we give are holy to the Lord, to the eternal, and set apart for his special purpose. In the case of the first tithe, it was for the work of the priesthood. But in the church, it is set apart for the work of the ministry. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 12 through 27. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 12 through 27. We're also commanded to keep, uh, uh, verse 22 through 27, rather, Deuteronomy 14, 20 through 22 through 27. This concerns the second tithe, which we are commanded to keep. It's kept and not given, and is used so that we can rejoice before the Eternal as he commands us to. When God gave a command, he also gave us the ability to perform it. So we give a tithe to God, uh, and then he gives us a second tithe so that we can obey his command to rejoice at his feasts. He gives us an equivalent amount. We give, we give him $10, and he gives us the exact same amount to keep for a special purpose. And both tithes are set apart by God for a divine purpose, and both are holy to God. Verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. And you shall eat 
before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain, the tithe and of your new wine and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks. What is the firstborn, the first ones God gives, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you or you're not able to carry the tithe or the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, then the Lord your God, uh, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money and take the tithe of your hand and um, go to uh, St. Augustine, Florida, or go to New Bern, or go to whatever place that God has, well, he didn't really put that in there, but you know what I'm talking about, that we, God places his name and shows us where to put his feast, and we turn things into money, and then we take them there. Verse 25, then you shall exchange it for money and take the money in your hand and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money on whatever your heart desires for oxen and sheep, for wine and similar drink. So whatever your heart desires, you shall eat there before the Lord your God and you shall rejoice, you and your household. What a commandment, commanding us to rejoice. Verse 27, and you shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part or inheritance with you. So you shall truly keep the tithe and you shall rejoice, you and your household. And God provides the second tithe for our benefit so we can obey him and rejoice at the feast. Some may say, well, I don't have any second tithe this year because I didn't save it. Yes, you did have a second tithe but you spent it on something else. You didn't set it apart as God told you to. Here's an additional instruction. Verse uh, Deuteronomy 14, and let's look down then at verse 28. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied that the Lord your God and the eternal your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. And then Deuteronomy 15, 1 refers to a seven year cycle. We won't go over all of these things in detail. They have been gone over before. But the third and the sixth year of a seven-year cycle, we make a special offering. Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 15. Deuteronomy 26, verses 12 through 15. If you've recently completed your third year, God tells you to request a special blessing. Or if, if you're going to complete it this year, be sure to listen to this scripture and be sure that you do this. Verse 12, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase for the third year, the year of tithing, and have given it to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gate and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, <clears throat> I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it in mourning or 
have removed any of it for any unclean use. That means any use that it was not specified for or given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the land which you have given us just as you swore to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey. Notice that you had to certify that you have used your third year tithe for the purpose it was set apart for, sanctified, and nothing else. It can be properly used to support a family member, perhaps an elderly parent or someone else in your uh, household or extended family in need, in which case it wouldn't be given to the church. And then you should ask for a blessing. We generally call it the third year tithe because of this given in the third and sixth year of a seven-year cycle. A few things about members receiving the third-year tithe. Your pastor recommends it and has a procedure for reviewing the need for it. It is discretionary by the church and not an entitlement like the Social Security. It is based on need and is given for charitable purposes. And by the way, our auditors keep track of our usage of it to be sure that it is used by the church for its stated purpose. So to summarize point number two, God tells us that his tithes are holy. Nowhere does God's word say that they have been desanctified or that the tithing statutes have been negated. God does not change. They are set apart by God for a special purpose. If we use that money for other purposes, we profane that thing that is holy and that is sin. God said that he wants us to learn the difference between the holy and the profane, between the clean and the unclean. And this is often repeated in his word. Maybe it's important to him. Maybe that is substantive to him. So let's remember that. Point number three. Point number three. This point was covered in an earlier sermon, so I'll just touch on it here. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what have we robbed you? Well, in tithes and offerings. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 23 and 24, the doctrine of tithing is affirmed in the New Testament by Jesus himself. We'll go over a scripture um, about that, uh, too, about tithing. It won't be an exhaustive analysis here because of time. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithing of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. First Corinthians nine, eleven. First uh, Corinthians nine, chap, uh, chapter nine, verses thirteen and fourteen. First Corinthians chapter nine, verses thirteen and fourteen. God's ministry is to use the tithes for its support and to do the work. The apostle Paul instructed the church that we are the temple of God and our tithes continue to be set apart by God for his purposes. It begins 
Do you not know that those who minister the holy things, this is a reference to the Levites, eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings on the altar? Because God gave the Levites the tithes. Continuing, even so, meaning therefore, the Eternal has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. So, we give one-tenth our increase. Um, questions, by the way, about business profits and so forth can be taken to your minister. It's always on the net income. God's ties are set apart to do the work of preaching his gospel of the kingdom of God to feed the work. They're set apart by that, and we're very careful to do it. Those of you who have been to my office, you've seen a pair of vice grip pliers there. They've been there since I showed up nine years ago, and in one of them is a nickel. And we squeeze that nickel every opportunity we have. The second tithe is kept by us. We don't give it. God gives it to us, in effect. But it is set apart by God so that we will enjoy his feasts. He tells us how to use what he sets apart for us. And then the third year tithe is holy as well and is used for charitable purposes, not church operations. I've heard many stories about people receiving great financial blessings during their third year tithing season. So, summarize point number three. The tithes are God's and we should not take what is his for personal use. If we are faithful, he will bless us greatly. Jesus Christ himself affirmed tithing. Point number four, something else about the second tithe. Something else about it. And I'd like to touch on this a little bit today because we're coming up to the season where we'll be completing the second tithe year, um, getting ready for the feast. Every fall of the year, we use the second tithe that we save to rejoice at the fall feast as we're commanded to do. We need to commit ourselves to saving the full second tithe and not profaning any of it. But why is that? The second tithe that God gives us, is, uh, gives to you and me, is his to give, and it is wholly set aside by God for a special purpose. Will you profane what God has set aside between now and for the feast? Will you use it for something he has not prescribed? Rather use it for something he has, or rather he has not prescribed, rather use it for something that he has proscribed and that is prohibited. It is prescribed, prescribed, that is required by God for your enjoyment of the feast. We need to commit to keeping God's tithes, his second tithe, in particular holy. That means keeping the full tithe and not using it for any purpose other than what God said to use it for. Why would God set the second tithe apart? Well, one reason, he is teaching us a lesson. Faithfully saving our second tithe pictures something that is very important. God told us that when we do good works, we store up treasure in heaven. It's set apart there, and when he comes, his reward is with him. Revelation 22 and verse 12. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. We enjoy that reward in the kingdom of God as offices and services, offices of service, rather. 
and rejoicing, using our second tithe at God's feast, pictures what we're going to do. But it's something that we learn about all year round, not just at the feast. Saving our second tithe faithfully and then taking it to the feast pictures our storing of treasure in heaven, which God brings, or rather Christ brings, at his coming. Christ said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Revelation 22.12 You know, receiving eternal life in the kingdom of God is an unearned gift that we receive only through faith in Christ Jesus. What we do after we're in the kingdom is by reward according to works. God commands us to attend his feast and to rejoice, and he does not command us to do something without making it possible. When we set aside our festival tithe, God provides uh, to us the means to obey his command to attend and then rejoice. And this instruction is there for our good. And we The command that he gives us to rejoice is certainly a very pleasant obligation. Um, I'd just like to mention one more thing. This year, due to the coronavirus pandemic, many of our brethren in international areas are especially hard hit economically, and many have had few reserves to fall back on. Because we in the U.S. won't be engaging in any international travel for the feast this year, there will likely be some excess second tithe available that they would have used for that. And we hope to be able to use it so that our brethren in other countries uh, that do not have adequate second tithe can still attend the feast. We're looking at that and uh, deciding what to do about it and seeing the budgets and the needs that are coming in from the other areas around the world. So to summarize point number four, We store up our second tithe in the coming year and finishing it out this year, and we set it apart when we do it. And we should remember each time we do it, each time we set it apart, that it pictures our treasure in heaven that we will have in the great millennial Sabbath of God's kingdom. Christ brings that reward when he comes, and we will truly rejoice with our rewards in that great day. God commands us to rejoice at the feast using our second tithe so we will never forget that great part of his plan. He does it for our good. So let's also remember that God's second tithe is his in the first place. It is holy. It is given to us in the same amount of second tithe that we give him a first tithe. It does that to make it possible for us to keep his command. Let's be faithful in keeping a full second tithe and to only use it for the purpose for which he has set it apart. And then we will rejoice before him at the feast. He has us do these things for our benefit. So any further questions? We've got a free booklet, God's People Tithe, and for maybe a more detailed explanation of that. Also in the November December 2017 Living Church News, there's an article on tithing. So why do we tithe? Well, maybe we've got a a little more in-depth understanding, not just what we're required to do, but why God has us do it. God gave us the tithing statutes because we need to do them. Like all his laws, 
is there for our good. He wants us to learn to rightly deal with holy things. The Leviticus priests were trained to be meticulously careful about the holy and the profane. Well, the kings and priests in God's kingdom also will need to be meticulously careful about holy things, and we are learning to do that now. He wants us to have a role in his work. We are workmen in his fields. Your faithfulness in this has just been amazing, brethren. Uh, you know these things that I'm talking about today. You've demonstrated it by your works, and God knows what's in your heart. He knows that your heart is in the work. And I want to thank you. I say I want to thank God for all he has been doing through you in the support of his work. We want to incorporate the principle of first fruits into our character. Also, he wants to learn to rightly administer. He wants us to learn to rightly administer the things that are his. Why does he have you do that? Well, you have cities in your future. And robbing the owner is maybe not such a good idea. He wants us to be able to fully obey his commandments also to rejoice at the feasts. He makes that possible when we obey his statute regarding keeping the second time. Like the other statutes, it is affirmed in the New Testament. We should never lose sight of the fact that God's tithes are holy and God sets them apart for a divine purpose. And like any holy thing, misusing it um, profanes what God has declared to be holy and is sin. They are God's and are there for his purpose. Let us remember to handle faithfully God's holy tithe in the way that he commands. God wants to see where our hearts are, in some bank, in some bank account, or are they in his work? He wants us to learn his family business of giving with a cheerful heart. It's something that we want to do. We're going to be giving and creating forever, and we should accept his training and obey his word. And in doing so, he promises that he will prosper us. He is prospering us now in his work, and he will prosper us all forever in his kingdom.